Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. you listening in we're the, we are here the first and the third Tuesdays of each month at 6 to 8 p.m. we hope you'll invite your friends to listen our post office address is post office box 1141 Lindale Texas 75771 and my email address is Jerry McGee at sbcglobal.net that's g-e-r-i-m-c-g-h-e-e at sbcglobal.net and our website is jerrymcgee.com. We appreciate you listening in. And tonight we're going to be teaching a message on how to live a stress-free life. You know, we all get into stress, and God tells us to fret not. He says, fretting leads to evil doing, and evildoers will be cut off. And so, Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and we ask, Lord, that you, Lord Jesus, King of Kings, will Uh, my hope of glory, our hope of glory will flow out of us, Lord, and touch the lives of each person who listens to this message. And Father, I pray that my words be like goads, like well-driven nails, Lord, given by you, the shepherd. I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, as I commit this to you, that you will establish my thoughts, bring to my remembrance everything you've said. Let me be a tree of life, Lord, to each person who listens. Let rivers of living water come forth to touch every life in Jesus' name. And, Lord, we just bind Satan, principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, wicked spirits in heavenly places. We bind you in the heavenly places and on this earth. We forbid you to work with, communicate with, make contact with anyone on this earth or in the heavenly places to work divination against us, this program, anyone who listens to this program. In the name of Jesus. Father, we just bind and break every word of death, word of iniquity, curse of over Dorothy's ministry, over Blog Talk Radio, over this program, over every person who listens in, in Jesus' name. 
And, Lord, we pray a special covering of warrior angels over and around us, boomerang back on the enemy, every curse and assignment sent against us. Lord, you said our enemies are not flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. So, Lord, we thank you for the authority that you've given us in the name of Jesus. Thank you that in the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of those in earth and heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And, Lord, we pray that no matter how this comes out, that you will be glorified. That's what we want, Lord, that you be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name. Well, as I said, this message is entitled, How to Live a Stress-Free Life. You know, many times when you go to the doctor for a physical problem, they'll tell you that they can't find anything wrong. It's just stress-related. Stress opens us up to many, many maladies, much sickness in our bodies. Uh, It's rooted in fear. And um, praise God, we can overcome it. Um, The definition of stress is pressure or tension exerted on a on a material object it means pressure tension it means strain it means tightness you know uh, sometimes people maybe will go to the doctor and they say there's a tightness in my chest and it's stress related Uh, it's a state of mental or emotional strain or tension resulting from uh, adverse or uh, very demanding circumstances It means tension, nervousness, worry, anxiety, which really is all rooted in fear. And, you know, God tells us to fret not because fretting uh, leads to evildoing and evildoers will be cut off. And so here's just a few things that we stress over or we fret about. It's our finances. We fret over our children, our mates, our marriages. Uh, We fret over the people that have hurt us or rejected us or devalued us or treated us like we're a non-person. I don't know about you, but I have family members that have treated me just like I'm a non-person. And then I have to say, well, Lord, did I ever treat anybody like a non-person? Of course we did. We do. We're so, um, I don't want to say the word ignorant, but we do so many things just out of ignorance. Uh, we, we, We stress or we fret over uh, being rejected over not being valued or we, we fret over people not listening to us or uh, treating us with contempt or not forgiving us or alienating themselves from us. Uh, you know, sometimes we, the people we love, we feel like we're on the outside looking in. We can fret over all that. I've fret over, fretted over all of that. I've, I've stressed over all of it. And I can tell you, finally, God has brought me to the place where I care, but I don't care. And I'm talking about a not not a not caring just because of bitterness. I'm not talking about that. I mean, I've just given it up. You know, if you're living for the glory of God, you can pray, Lord, whatever would glorify you the most is what I asked that would happen. And then you can just let it go knowing that God's going to be glorified. And if that's what you're living for, praise God. Now, if you're not living for the glory of God, that's not good news. But if you are a person that truly wants to live for the glory of God, that prayer right there will deliver you from anger and bitterness and depression and discouragement and hurt uh, because you just let it go. But uh, basically, all these things we stress over are just idolatry. And basically, you know, when we're not loved growing up, we have an idol, we've got to be loved. When people don't love us, we take a nosedive. Or if we grow up rejected, then, uh, you know, the vow is we let the sun go down on our anger. I'm going to find somebody that will never reject me. And guess what? That sets me up for the very thing that I promised wasn't going to happen. Uh, basically, um, 
we stress over our idols. We fret over our idols. And where we would never worship a Buddha or a Kali or Diana or any um, obvious false god, we have false gods of you've got to love me, you've got to accept me, you've got to value me, you've got to make me a part, you can't, uh, you've got to accept me into the family, you've got to quit ignoring me, you've got to see how wonderful I am, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Those are our idols. And how do you know you have an idol? Is because you get hurt when you don't get it or you get fearful if you don't get it or if you have it, you fear you'll lose it or if um, – if you don't get it, you get angry or you get depressed. In fact, First Samuel fifteen twenty three says that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and all iniquity is as idolatry. And if I'm not trusting the Lord, I'm into idolatry. Idolatry is loving anything else more than you love Jesus. I stress because I really have a, a little faith in God or I know what God's word says. It's just that I want my own way, which is rebellion. And um, Jesus said we're to give it up. He said, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. And, of course, it's the fruit of the Spirit that's produced when we die to ourselves. That's not telling us to go out and commit suicide. But it means, as Jesus said, if any man's going to follow me, he has to deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And so when I take up my cross, and that means choose against my way, my plan, my purpose, uh, uh, change my attitude to his attitude, uh, his plan to my plan, his will uh, uh, against my will. Uh, When I do all of that, I'm giving up my life that I might find it, and I'm like that grain of wheat that falls to the ground and dies and abides alone because sometimes when we die, it's like there's a loneliness in it, but because of Jesus being Lord of our life, we don't feel lonely. But as it abides alone, and if it dies, it produces much fruit. You know, you can plant a grain of corn that's got a hard kernel in the soil and put moisture. Eventually, the moisture in that soil, that corn has to give up its life to the soil. And when it does, the moisture in the soil causes the outward layer of that corn kernel to break loose, and life comes forth. And so when you and I choose death to ourselves, then the life of Jesus comes through and it produces the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and self-control. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6 to consider the lilies. And it says in verse 25, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life and what you will eat or what you will drink or what, or, nor for your body what you will put on. Is, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. You know, I grew up in South Texas, and I didn't. In, where I grew up, there was mesquite trees and sparrows, and I never saw the beautiful birds that like I see in East Texas, all these beautiful birds. But all I saw was these sparrows, and basically you would see their nest on a telephone pole, and they'd be dragging, stringing stuff across, and uh, they were just nasty birds. And God said, look at these birds. They don't sow, they don't reap, or they don't gather in the barns, yet um, your heavenly Father feeds them. He says, are you not worth much more than they? It says, and who of you... 
by being worried uh, can add a single hour to his life. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Now, I live on, I bought 116 acres here in East Texas, and whoever lived on this property before me planted daffodils. And I don't know if you've ever noticed the beauty of a daffodil in the spring, but God says, observe these these, uh, lilies. Uh, They don't toil and they don't spin. Now, the first part of before Matthew 6, 25, it says, if your eye is clear, your whole body is full of light. But if your eye is bad, uh, your whole body is full of darkness. And, of course, that word um, bad means toiling or striving. And you could say fretting or stewing or stressing. And so that's one of the roots to eye problems. And this is something that the Lord has shown me of something else to repent of because of not only the times I've stressed in my lifetime, but the, but because of the sins of my forefathers who all had eye problems. And so um, the toiling and splinting is a picture of striving in the flesh. You know, I, I grew up with ancestors, and I've been this way too, the kind of person that just kind of hangs in there and lets the front end drag. And that's not what God wants. I was taught the Lord helped them, help those that help himself. And that's just totally erroneous. God only helps those that admit they're helpless. Praise God. I don't, I used to feel guilty because I grew up hearing the Lord help those that help themselves. And I felt guilty because I couldn't help myself. And when I discovered that God helps those that admit they're helpless, then I can say, praise God. Uh, verse 29 says, Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in his glory is clothed himself like some of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you of little faith? Do not worry about your, about, do not worry, then saying, what will you eat, what will you drink, or what will you wear for clothing? For the Gentile, which is a type of a lost person, eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. And then he gives us the answer in verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. In other words, when I die to myself, I die to my life, I die to my hurt, I just put my family on the altar and say, Lord, um, if it'll glorify you the most for them to do this to me or do that to me, what all I ask is that you glorify yourself. The devil, you're bound. When I can do like Abraham did with Isaac, uh, take it up the mountain and let it go. It's really seeking first the kingdom of God. And God says, and all in his righteousness, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. So do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will care for itself each day has enough troubles of its own. You know, my mother used to say, bless her heart, and we and, and I can catch myself almost saying this, every day there's something. There's always something going on. And praise God, uh, he wants to, us to die to our life that we might find it. And we get into stress because we don't really trust God, our Heavenly Father, to love us. You know, parents model for us a picture of what God's like. And if you grew up in a dysfunctional family where you weren't loved, 
Your parents didn't want the best for you. They never guided you. They never directed you. They never loved you. They never wanted you. Um, they wanted to throw you away. They didn't protect you. They abandoned you. And you could just go on and on and on. You see what a perverted image of God that gives you if parents model for us a picture of what God's like. You see how perverted uh, our image of God becomes. And God says he gives every man a, a measure of faith. And if, if I grew up with that kind of thought about God, of how my childhood went, of not being loved or accepted or being lied to, uh, couldn't believe my parents, they wouldn't protect me, then it's hard, it's hard for me to, to let go of my life to God because I've, I've, I believe that God, I've received a lie that God's just like my mother and father. Now, if you grew up in a family where you were loved, protected, cared for, provided for, valued, cherished, it's easier for you to uh, give, all, give it all up to God because you've got a good concept of God. But that's not to criticize anybody that grew up in a dysfunctional family because in the hundreds of I've ministered over the last 36 years to hundreds of people, and I probably haven't met 20 people that had a mother and daddy that modeled a good picture of God. I grew up with a family. My parents weren't perfect, but I never felt unloved a day in my life. I never, my parents didn't lie to me. They protected me. They watched over me. They certainly were far from perfect, but they gave me a good concept of God. But even then, it's hard to give up to God, especially if I think I want my own way because I have a lot of hurt. So God says he gives every man a measure of faith, and it takes great faith, honestly, it takes a measure of faith for just the us just to get on God's altar and lay everything at the foot of the cross and just let it go. A, a, a fruitless life, a life of stress, a life of fear, worry, unbelief, doubt, they all go together. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, it would be good to just um, to, to read along with me. And I'm reading from New American Standard in Luke 13. Verse, uh, chapter, uh, verse 6 It says He, Jesus, began telling this parable About a man who had a fig tree Which had been planted in his vineyard And he came looking for fruit on it And didn't find any And he said to the vineyard keeper Behold, for three years I've come looking for this fruit On this fig tree And without finding any So he told the, the vineyard keeper He said, cut it down Why does it even use up the ground? And the vineyard keeper answered and said to him, Let it alone, sir, for this year until I dig around it and put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, fine, but if not, cut it down. And now this passage in Luke was taken right out of Isaiah chapter 5. And how many of you know that everything that's in the New Testament is in the Old Testament? And there's many people that teach, well, the Old Testament is not for not for today. When Second Timothy, I think it's Second Timothy three fifteen, it says all Scripture is given for reproof, correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God might be fully equipped. And I don't know if I said that right, but you're familiar with that Scripture. In fact, the the the, the disciples didn't even have the New Testament; they taught out of the Old Testament. Remember Jesus in the temple? He read from the book of Isaiah. And it says, and so this passage in Luke was taken right out of Isaiah 5. Let me sing for my well-beloved a song of my beloved, that's Jesus, concerning his vineyard, that's us. Uh, 
my well-beloved Jesus had a vineyard on a fertile hill, and he dug all around it and removed its stones and planted it with the choicest vine, and he built a tower in the middle of it, and he also um, hewed out a wine vat in it. Then he expected it to produce good grapes, but it only produced worthless ones. And so that's a picture of a Christian that lives a fruitless life. God calls us to bear fruit, says, so bear fruit in John 15, bear fruit and so prove to be my disciples. In Acts, it says the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. So disciples are Christians. And if you're not a disciple, you can be a Christian in name only, believe in Jesus with your head, but you've never been born again. A disciple means a disciplined one, one that lets God discipline them. The scripture says he disciplines every son whom he loves. Verse 3 says, And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. So he's talking about his people, his vineyard. And if you've listened to me very much, you know that that the vineyard is also your spiritual garden. It's also your heart. What more was there to do for my vineyard than I've not done for it? And, of course, Jesus, there's no, you know, the scripture says he's given us all things pertaining to life and godliness. He died on the cross that we might live an overcoming life. And so so he's saying here, what more have I done for my vineyard than I've not done for it? Why, when I expected it to produce good grapes, it produced only worthless ones. Now the judgment comes. So now let me tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard, God says. I'll remove its hedge, and it will become consumed. And, of course, consumed means to be eaten, and that's a picture, honestly, even of cancer. He says, I'm going to break down its wall, and it will be trampled ground. Can you imagine a vineyard that had the wall or the fence taken down? Living out here on this 116 acres that I live on, if if you have a garden without a fence or even a, a high fence, deer will jump right over it. But can you imagine a a vineyard that has the hedge removed? There's no wall around it. It becomes consumed by all the the wild animals and the animals that eat from the vineyard. Eat it all up. Consume it. And that's a type and shadow of demons. He says, I'll lay it waste and it will not be pruned or hoed, but but briars and thorns will come up. I'll also charge the clouds to rain no rain on it, which is the type of the Holy Spirit. So can you imagine a, a vineyard without without rain? It, it's impossible. He says it's not going to be prudent, prudent or hoed. Now, in John 15, Jesus said, if you bear fruit, he prunes you that you might produce more fruit, right? Here, the opposite, the judgment is he's not going to prune you. He's not going to discipline you. He's just going to let the enemy get a hold of you by by removing your hedge, removing your fence. You have no protection from the enemy. He says, and I will also charge no clouds to rain on it. No, no, no Holy Spirit. Acts 5 says he gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey him. We don't obey to be saved. We obey because we are. How many people in the church claim to be, claim to be Christians but they've never been born again. They believe in Jesus with their head, but it's never got down into their heart to transform their heart and make them a new creation in Christ. I, I, I've known people that say, well, oh, so-and-so, you know, he's, he's a believer. He accepted the Lord 30 years ago, but it's been ho-hum, ho-hum God. He's never been interested in the word of God. He's never been interested in going to church. He's never been interested in, in things. 
I'm going to tell you, that man needs to get saved or that woman needs to get saved, born again. Jesus said, if any man would come after me, he has to deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Salvation is a free gift, and we obey because we're saved. We don't obey because uh, to be saved. In verse 7, it says, for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah, his, his delightful plant. Now, I want to say, some of you think, well, this is to Israel. Well, uh, John, I mean, um, Romans 2 and Romans 9 and Galatians 3 tells you that whoever has been baptized in Christ is the Israel of God. So we are the born-again believers are the true Israel of God. So when it's speaking in the Old Testament to Israel, it's speaking to the church today. It says, for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah, his delightful plant. Thus he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, a cry of distress. You see where the stress comes into our life is in some area of our life, we have the hedge down. And it's the areas where we have idolatry. The areas where we're fretting and we're strewing and we're stressing out. We have to let it all go. And if you will, go to Deuteronomy 32.4. The rock, and that's Jesus, his work is perfect. For all his ways are just. A God of a God of faithfulness and without injustice. They have acted corruptly, speaking of, of God's children. They've acted corruptly toward him. They are not his children because of their defect, but are a perverse and crooked generation. You know, when the Bible tells us to be steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord, it means stubborn for the things of God. A perverse person is stubborn for the things of evil. So God said these people have acted uh, perversely. They're perverse and crooked generation. It says, do, do you thus repay the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? Is not your is, is he not your father who brought you who bought you he made you and established you and and that's what jesus did he purchased us at calvary he bought us he owns us in verse 7 it says remember the days of old consider the years of all generations as your father father and he will inform you your elders, and they will tell you. When he, when the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of men, he set the boundaries for the peoples according to the number of the sons of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is his allotment of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land, and of course, the Bible says he delivered us from darkness and brought us into his marvelous light. He found him in a desert land and in a howling waste of a wilderness. He encircled him and cared, and cared for him. He guarded him as the pupil of his eye. Like an eagle that stirs up her nest, that hovers over her young, he spread his wings and caught them and carried them on his pinions. The Lord also guided him, and there was no foreign God with him. In other words, there were no idols. Verse 13, he made him ride on the high places of the earth and ate the 
produce of the field, and he made him suck the honey from the rock and oil from the flinty rock. That's the provision that God's given us as believers in the Lord Jesus. Curds of, of cows and milk for the flocks with the fat of lambs and of rams, the breed of bashan and goats, with the finest of the wheat and of the blood of grapes, they drank wine. But Jezrin, in verse 15, now Jezrin means the people of God. It means the upright one. But Jezrin grew fat and kicked. That means his heart became so hard and so callous that he produced from the flesh. You are grown fat, thick, and sleek. Then he forsook God who made him and scorned the rock of his salvation. Now, when we scorn the rock of our salvation, we get another rock, and it's the wrong rock, and it's Satan. They made him jealous with strange gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. Now, we just read that there was no gods when he did all this, the blessings. But then they got stubborn and perverse. And it says, now he says, they made him jealous with strange gods. And our strange gods are our little things that hurt us, our little nitpicky things. You got to listen to me. You got to love me. You got to accept me. You got to value me. You've got to love me. You've got to do this. You got to, you got to, you got to. You got to love my God as much as my false God as much as I do, in other words. And I get angry if you don't. And I, I fear you won't do it. Or, or if I have it, I fear I'll lose it or get depressed. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. The scripture says in Revelation 9:20 that when we worship false gods, we worship idols. They they sacrificed the demons who were not God to gods whom they've not known, new gods who came lately whom your fathers did not dread. You know, we should dread these false gods, and we have all of us have things in our life we have to overcome. Children of Israel had a spiritual had a physical land to possess with real enemies. And we have a spiritual land to possess with all these nitpicky things that we stress over are false gods in our life. And we've got to overcome all of them. You've got to overcome our anger. We've got to overcome our bitterness. We've got to overcome our unforgiveness. We've got to overcome our fear in all those areas if we want to live an overcoming life in Christ Jesus. And you can be totally submitted right now as much as you know. And tomorrow the Lord will show you something else you need to die to. It's like a process. It's like a lifelong, uh, sanctification is a lifelong process. You neglected the rock who begot you, and you forgot the God who gave you birth. The Lord says this, and they spurned them because of the provocation of, his, of the sons of and his sons and daughters. Then he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end shall be. For they're a perverse generation, sons in whom is no faithfulness. In other words, they're stubborn for the things of evil. They have made me, God says, jealous with what is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. And can I tell you, you and I provoke him to anger with our idols. And he's very patient with us, but that's only up to a point. And then he begins to discipline us. He says, so I will make them jealous with what, uh, with those who are not a people in other words demons i'll provoke them to anger with a foolish nation so you see that jealousy and anger is a fruit of idolatry not a fruit of the spirit it's a fruit of having the wrong rock control you it says for a fire is kindled in my anger and burns to the lowest points of sheol and consumes the earth with its yield 
and sets fire to the foundations of the mountains. It says, I will heap misfortunes on them. You see, that's the fruit of idolatry. And I will use my arrows on them. Now, the scripture says that he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High God will abide under the shadow and protection of the Almighty. That's what the rock Jesus does for us. But outside that uh, umbrella, or you can say his refuge is like an umbrella, outside that umbrella, it says he'll deliver you from the snare of the trapper and the, from the arrow that flies by day. And so now he's calling these demons his arrows. It says they'll be w- wasted with famine and consumed by plague. Here you see cancer. You see consumed, eaten by plague. Famine is lack and bitter destruction. And the teeth of beasts I'll send upon them with the creeping things, crawling things of the dust. So he's going to allow the demons to get us. And it's like if you're not under God's umbrella, Psalms 91, you step out outside of that umbrella, you're stepping out where the where the the demons are to be attacked by the demons. And so that's how he does it. When he says, I'll send them on you, he just removes the hedge, and here come the demons. A friend of mine, Milton Green, used to teach hedge down sickum. We've got a hedge of protection around us when we walk in in obedience. The hedge down on us, then the demons have the legal right to get us. That's why it says in James 4, 7, submit yourself to God and resist the devil and he'll flee. In verse 25, it says, outside the sword will bereave. And in uh, Psalm 17, it's and I'm going to paraphrase, but it says, Deliver me from the enemy who is thy sword. So when you see the word sword, here comes the demons. It says, outside the sword will bereave. Outside of God's refuge, the sword will bereave. And inside terror. But the young man and the virgin, the nursing, the nurse, nursling with the man of gray hair. God says, I would have said, I will cut them to pieces. I'll remove the memory of them from the earth. Had I not had I not feared the provocation by the enemy that their adversaries would misjudge that they would say our hand is triumphant and the Lord has not done all these things in other words the demons so many people in the body of Christ blame the devil for everything can I tell you the devil cannot do anything that God does not let him do can I tell you that when you step outside of God's refuge you're out in Satan's territory and there's many believers that are saying, I'm triumphant, and of course we are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah, glory to God. But they're overrun with demons, and they're saying, you know, uh, the, de- the devil's doing this. The devil made me do it. The devil's doing it. Let me tell you something. I've discovered being in deliverance for 36 years. I've discovered when I get my heart right with God, the demons back off. And you can judge that too. If there's a demon problem, you don't have a demon problem. you got a God problem. So align yourself with God, and the demons have to go. Deuteronomy 32:28 says, They are a nation lacking in counsel, and there's no understanding in them. You know, the scripture says that, that um, in Hosea, it says the people without understanding are ruined. Understanding is the truth that sets me free. There's so many scriptures on why we need understanding. Understanding is to turn away from evil. So is the beginning of wisdom is to turn away from evil. God says, would that they were wise and they understood this, that one, that, that they would discern their future. You see, you lose your discernment when you have idolatry. 
you lose your discernment. Wherever you have an idol, you, you, you're kind of confused or you don't think you're confused, but wherever you have an idol, you're perplexed or you're hurt or you're wounded or you, you, um, you think somebody ought to be doing something different or treating you different. It said, if they were wise, they would understand their future. They would discern their future. And I want to say this, the body of Christ in, the, in America is lacking discernment. Things that goes on in the church today in the name of God is not even scriptural. Many places where they're telling you you're getting the Holy Spirit, you're actually getting the unholy spirit. When, you, when you're sitting under teaching that doesn't teach you repentance, doesn't teach the word of God, doesn't teach that there's a narrow way that leads to eternal life, doesn't teach you that without holiness, no man's going to see God. Can I tell you, you didn't hear from God. If you're just going to go, you just want to go to get a word that makes you feel good or helps you go get out, be drunk in the spirit to where you can't stand up. I can tell you that's not God. Every prophet, and I'll say this about the false prophets. There's so many false prophets out there. Um, a true prophet never tells you anything that contradicts the word of God. A true prophet will lead you to repentance, not tell your fortune. Deuteronomy 32 verse 30 says, so it says if they were wise, they could discern their future. How one could chase a thousand and two could chase 10,000 unless their rock had sold them and that the Lord had given them up. In other words, because the Lord had given them up and sold them, they couldn't uh, chase a thousand or two couldn't chase 10,000. No power. Indeed, their rock is not like our rock because our rock is Jesus. But it's saying these people that worship idols, their rock is the wrong rock. Satan's their rock. It says even our enemies themselves judge this. And what I'm saying is when your enemy sees, when the devil and the demons see that you're not walking under the lordship of the true rock Jesus, they have the legal right to judge you. And here they come, heads down, sick them. For their, for their vine is from the vine of Sodom. Now, Jesus is the true vine in John 15. But he says, these people that have idols, uh, they're worshiping demons, and their vines from the vine of Sodom. And from the fields of Gomorrah, their grapes are grapes of poison. Their clusters are bitter. You know, when a, when a person receives Jesus as Savior, he's going to be the bride of Christ. And um, when he goes after other gods, commits spiritual adultery against Jesus. And it says, and it says their clusters are bitter, and it becomes a person that, that is a spiritual adulterer. The scripture says is a harlot. It says the harlot's mouth is bitter. It says that she wipes her mouth and says, I've done nothing wrong. That's a picture of a person that claims to be a, a, a claims to love Jesus. They, they don't take accountability for their sin. They've always got an excuse to justify why they're doing what they do, do. And it says they're clusters. In other words, bitterness comes out of, her, out of their mouth. Bitter, the harlot's mouth is bitter is what the word of God says. And, um, Bitterness is another word for wormwood. In, in uh, Revelation 9, it talks about the star that falls uh, from heaven, and it's wormwood. It's when Lucifer got kicked out of heaven, and another word was wormwood. And so whenever we've got the wrong rock and the wrong vine, 
then it's producing bitterness. It says their wine, their vine, their wine is the, vine, the venom of serpents and the deadly poison of cobras. In Matthew 12, Jesus said, how can you brood of vipers? How can you being evil speak what's good? It says, and then in verse 34, it says, is it not laid up in store with me, sealed in my treasury? Vengeance is mine, God says, and retribution. In due time, their foot will slip. For the day of their calamity is near, and the impending things are hastening upon them. For the Lord will vindicate his people and will have compassion on his servants when he sees their strength is gone. In other words, when they lay down their idol, he'll have compassion. As long as we have an idol, there's no compassion in that area. And can I tell you, if you make an idol out of a person, they'll turn on you every time. I know that from personal experience. It says, and there's none remaining, bond or free. And he will say, after he has compassion on them, where are their gods? The rock in which, you know, we can seek refuge in the rock Jesus, or we can seek refuge in our in our idol. You remember when Adam and Eve sinned, they went and hid themselves and made fig leaves? And we make fig leaves of you got to love me, you got to accept me, you've got to, you got to, you got to. Deuteronomy 32:38. Who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the and drank the wine of their offerings? Let them rise up and help you. Let them be your hiding place. So you can choose God's hiding place by walking in repentance and walking in covenant with Him, or you can choose the wrong hiding place, which is, you know, we hide behind our idols. We trust our idols to be the thing that makes us happy. When God is the only one that makes us happy. It says, see now that I am he, and there's none besides me. Is it, uh, it is I who put to death and give life. I have wounded, and it is I who heal. And there's no one who can deliver you from my hand. Now, you, you say you're sick because of idolatry or for some reason, and you go to the world for answers. God says, there's no one can deliver you out of my hand. So you better, whatever you do, you better deal with God. <clears throat> and whether you go to the world or not, that's between you and the Lord. <clears throat> the sign of Sodom, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> the vine of Sodom produces Galatians five, eighteen and 19. It says, but if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. So other words of, there are other words for denying yourself and taking up your cross. First Peter says, arm yourself with the same purpose for as Christ suffered in the flesh. So you suffer in the flesh for in suffering, sin loses its power. Uh, another place in Romans 12 is present your body to God as a living sacrifice. Another is walking in the spirit, being led by the spirit. It says when you're being led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now, in every, in every physical court, there's a judge, there's an officer, and there's a prison. In God's spiritual court, God's the judge, the officer's a demon, and there's a spiritual prison we go into. So we're not under the law when, we, when we're led by the Spirit. But when we're led by the unholy Spirit, we come back under the law. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are sexual immorality. Sixty percent of church members think nothing of shacking up. Um, sensuality. Impurity, idolatry, 
loving something else more than Jesus. Sorcery, enmities, strife. Sorcery that is, and I think King James says witchcraft. Um, the the Greek definition of sorcery is pharmakia, and it means spell giving potion, a pharmacist or a druggist. Enmities, strife. The Bible says where there's contention and strife, there's every evil work. Jealousy of anger. Oh, I thought it was okay to get a little, have a little anger. It's not. If we've got, if you're a person that's got anger, you've got to find out how it got there and overcome it by um, going back to the place where it was planted in your life, where you let the sun go down on your anger and deal with it. Outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness. There's a physical drunkenness and a spiritual drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. In other words, this is not an all-conclusive list of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, that's a picture of the vine of Sodom. The vine of Sodom with the wrong rock produces this, the flesh. Jesus, the true vine, produces Galatians 5.22, which is the character and nature of Jesus. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. So if our lives not producing the fruit of the Spirit, there is a law. And the demons are the executors of that law. So we bear fruit when we die to our life. Like that grain of wheat that falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it produces much fruit, and it's the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, bearing fruit for God in a nutshell uh, is giving up your life and that will free you from living a, a life of stress because you've given it up. You know, Mary chose the better part. In Luke chapter 10, verse 38, it says, Now when they were traveling along, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him to her house. And she had a sister named Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet to his word. But Martha was distracted with all of her preparations, and she came up and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Tell her to help me. It says she was distracted with so many things that are not important, so many things that you couldn't take to heaven. And I'm reminded of some sins that I committed Back in earlier years, my husband was president of a, a vice president of a bank in a little town, and I wanted everybody to think well of me. And I waxed my floor once a week, and my little two-year-old would wet right in the middle of it, and I'd go into orbit. And I'm ashamed of that today. But you see, that's how we just temporarily value things. It's been much more important to pick that little one up and be loving him, uh, and so if he messes up the floor. Praise God, he's changed me, and he's still changing me, and tomorrow he's going to change me some more. But I want to take accountability for those kind of things. You know, I, I advise you to do this. I've, I've, I have done this. I've asked my son, in fact, a few days ago, and my son and I have a great relationship. He's a great son, and I so t- I, sometimes I apologize so many times that it's like, oh, Mom, it's like he poo-poos it. 
but he didn't this time. I, I had a long list of things that I had done, failures of raising him up, things that he didn't even remember. But I thought for my conscience and for his, his healing, um, I'm going to start confessing the things that God showed me, the failures, the things that I did wrong in raising him up. And in spite of me, he's the most godly man I know. He's my pastor, and I'm so thankful for him. He's really, a, he's really, besides Jesus, the joy of my life. But it's good to apologize. And if you, many of you, uh, if you're like a lot of my friends, you, you're alienated from your children. You're alienated from your families. And uh, maybe you just need to pray about making a long list of things to, instead of saying, forgive me for all the things I've done, list them, name them one by one. My son responded by saying, mom, forgive me. And I said, son, you have nothing to, I have nothing to forgive you for. You have been a wonderful son. And I can honestly say that he has. Now, his little brother lived a homosexual lifestyle and praise God, he's in heaven now. But had I not had him, I probably wouldn't have had a prayer life. But I would pray for him for 20 years that God would do whatever it took to save his soul. And I can tell you, he's in heaven now. Praise Jesus. But Martha, she wanted Jesus to tell Mary to help her. And this is what Jesus said. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. And I want to ask you a question. Are you worried and bothered by so many things? Whatever bothers you, take it up the mountain. But only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her because she can take it to heaven with her. It's what you're doing or what you're stressing over. Can you take it to heaven with you? Jesus said, be anxious for nothing. And, you know, God didn't call us to uh, carry uh, the weight and the burdens Uh, on us that he didn't intend for us to carry in fact he wants to carry our burdens he tells us to cast all our care on him because he cares for us approximately 365 times in the bible we're told to fear not or be anxious for nothing or words like that isaiah 26 says he will keep you in perfect peace when your mind is stayed upon him because you're trusting in him you know, the word disease comes from a French word, dis-ease. And so we could say wherever our life is in dis-ease, we can open ourselves up to sickness and disease. And God says he'll, he'll give us perfect peace when our mind is stayed on him because we're trusting in him. And, you know, if most of us would be honest, we could say that we're living our life. We're living the life of someone else instead of the life that Jesus has for us. I see this in marriages, and not that God doesn't want us to love each other or bear each other's burdens or want a man to lay down his life for his wife, but God never tells us to lay down our life for the demons and somebody else. And so I see this quite often, how a man so wants his wife's love and acceptance that he will jump through hoops, uh, she might mix everything he's trying to do. He has an idea from God, and she'll mix it. And, and the fruit of that is, that, and, and this is men and women, this person that does this, that lives, your, lives the life of another person by letting them control them, what happens is they live under condemnation, they live under regret, they live under the fact that, hey, there's something I need to be doing, 
without seeing the idolatry. God says he wants you to live the life he created you to be. He don't want you to live the life of someone else because someone else is supposed to live their life and you're supposed to let Jesus, let Jesus live through them. But Jesus, he wants to live through us. And most of the time, we, uh, we live our lives in, as, in a sense of duty or obligation or uh, because of the expectations of others or, or we are trying to live to please other people rather than God. And there's not good uh, consequences for being a people pleaser. Uh, you know, the fear of disappointing someone, the fear of letting people down, um, uh, or, or we think there's too many people depending on us. Hey, God is the one that owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's the Savior, not us. And I've had a Savior mentality, and my son and I were talking about this the other day. We feel responsible in areas where it's not our responsibility. When you feel responsible, you're really, what you're really doing, undermining the sovereignty of God over your circumstances. And basically it's all idolatry. And besides making an idol of another person, uh, every time you do, you'll have the rug jerked out from under you. When you make an idol of another person, they'll, they'll, they'll hate you, they'll resent you, they'll disrespect you, and they'll absolutely turn on you. And you can find yourself jumping through the hoops of other people, wearing the yokes of other people that were not meant for your neck. You know, in Acts 15, uh, Peter rebukes the, rebukes the Pharisees for putting a yoke on the disciples that neither them nor their father has been able to bear. The only yoke that fits our neck is the yoke of Jesus, where he says, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And, and many of us fail to realize that we're living the lives of those who control us. And the only one that is to control you is the Holy Spirit, Jesus. And he never says anything to you that contradicts his word. In fact, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they obey me and they'll not follow the voice of a stranger. And that's the voice of another. The stranger in the Greek means the voice of another. In other words, any voice that didn't line up with the word of God is the voice of a stranger, and you're not to listen to the voices of a stranger. And let me tell you something. You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they went into a fiery furnace. Every time you, every time that you don't bow down to the demons and other people, you're gonna, you could go into a fiery furnace. You could even uh, lose things that you don't want to lose. But let me tell you, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when Nebuchadnezzar wanted them to bow down to his golden image. They said, oh, king. They didn't say, king, we're not going to obey your demons. They said, oh, king, we cannot do this. But if you do put us in this furnace, I'm paraphrasing, then our God is able to deliver us. And you know the story. They went to the fiery furnace. Uh, there was three that went in, and there was four people in that, fern- in that fiery furnace. They came out without even a smell of smoke. And Nebuchadnezzar... Had they bowed down to his idol, uh, he wouldn't have said what he said to them when they came out. He said, oh, come out of there, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There's no God like your God. You see, when we take a stand for righteousness, there, we could go into a fiery furnace. But let me tell you something. It'll make a believer out of people that are trying to put you in the furnace. But when you have an idol, it's going to turn on you. Uh, it's a thankless job. You'll be rejected, you'll be hated, you'll be disrespected, despised, turned on. 
And you know what? And God allows it because he said, you're not going to have any other gods before me. That's one of the Ten Commandments, if I'm thinking correctly. And this kind of drivenness is not only idolatry, what are the spiritual roots to sickness in our bodies? But it opens us up to sickness. And God tells us to bear each other's burdens, but only long enough to, to lay them at the foot of the cross. And we can cast all our care on the Lord because he cares for us. And God didn't say he came to earth to make you more responsible so you could carry more burdens for people. Whatever burden you have, you're to take to God and take it to the cross. Galatians 5 says, is it for not for freedom that Christ set us free? Matthew 11:28. Jesus said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble, and you shall find rest for your soul, for my burden is light and my load is easy. And life isn't uh, feeling easy. If it's not feeling easy and light, can I tell you, you have the wrong yoke on your neck. And Jesus calls us into rest. And when we don't enter his rest, it's a curse. Deuteronomy 28 says there'll be no resting place for the sole of your foot, trilling heart, failing eyes, and despair of soul. So you can see how uh, when we have unrest, it's a curse because the only thing that breaks that yoke of unrest is to wear the yoke of Jesus that's light and easy. Jeremiah 29, 11, God says, for I know the plans I have for you. They're for good and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And that scripture has meant so much to me because my first husband left me with two little boys for his secretary. And I'm telling you, it was the most brokenhearted. Well, it absolutely broke my heart because I didn't believe in divorce. And um, I remember um, driving by his girlfriend's house and he was out in the yard holding her little 13-month-old baby. And I was like, I was thinking, how dare he leave an 8-year-old and a 12-year-old for and substituted for somebody else's baby and that broke my heart and I, I cried all day and I was in church and uh, tears were splashing down on my bible and this dear lady next to me she reached over and opened my bible to Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, and it was like God you mean do you mean God that you have a plan in the midst of this mess that you have a plan for my life and you know had I had that husband back which was the desire of my heart, I wouldn't be doing today what I'm doing now, which was the true desire of my heart. You know, God knows. God has a purpose of your creation. You're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus under good works. He only created one of you. And for you to fulfill the plan and the purpose he has for you is not to live someone else's life and what they want for you. It's to live what God wants for you. There's only one yoke that's made for our neck, and it's the yoke of Jesus. And God has a special plan for you. There's only one of you, and he's got a purpose for for your life. And so we must start letting God live the life out through us that he called us to live. Jeremiah 1.5 says, "Before, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you, I appointed you to be a prophet among the nations. 
Psalms 139, verse 14 says, um, I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me. In other words, God already wrote before you were born the days that he has ordained for you. He doesn't want you to to um, live out the days that he adorned for someone else. He ordained for someone else. He wants you to live out the days that he's ordained for you. When 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 as yet you are not one of them. You weren't even born then yet. But precious, how precious are your thoughts to me, O oh God? How vast are your some of them? Ephesians one three says. Blessed be the God of our Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every, every blessing, spiritual blessing, in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us before him in the, in the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us in this Ephesians 1. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Christ Jesus to himself according to the kind intention of his will. And he wants us to enter into that rest through wearing the yoke of Jesus, which is a picture of some total submission to Jesus, the voice of the shepherd. John fifteen sixteen says, But you didn't choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Hebrews 4 says, uh, see to it that you enter into God's rest, that while a promise remains of entering his rest, that you enter his rest. In Hebrews 4, it also talks about a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And that's a picture of being dead to ourself because that's when we rest. It's a picture of wearing the yoke of Jesus, being under his control that we can live a Sabbath rest and live have peace. And for us to live a life of unrest, first of all, we have to be born again. And I don't mean just believe in Jesus with your head, but I mean a person being willing to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow, follow him. You know, the Bible says the devil and his demons believe and they tremble. But when a person is born again, there's a new, there are new creation in Christ. Old things pass away and behold, all things become new. Now, we're all a work in progress. From the day we get saved, we're a work in progress. And God, God changes us from glory to glory to glory to glory. And if we don't let God change us from glory to glory to glory, we can get dementia or some other kind of um, thing because we've exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship the creature. Rather than the creator, Romans 1 says, God gives you over to a reprobate mind. And to remove all yokes from your neck, don't wear any human's yoke. Uh, don't let anybody put a yoke on your neck. And, you know, the strongest yokes I've had have been my own uh, yokes that I put on myself, yokes of expectations that I've had toward myself. And then we have to give up our life, give up what we know to get what he knows so that he can live his life through us. Matthew sixteen twenty five in the New Living Bible says, person who tries to 
preserve his life will lose it. And, you know, at, uh, I turned 80 years old last week, and finally, I mean, uh, God is teaching me not to stress. I mean, is, is, is he is showing me that every little detail of my life he's already planned and that I don't need to fret over anything or over anybody or what I think my kids should do or not do because God already has a plan. I can especially say this with my grandchildren. I encourage those of you who have children. I have a 30-year-old granddaughter that's been prayed for for about 43 years. And so, you know, I don't have to stress over anything about her life. It's a done deal. So if you have children or even if you don't have children or if if you don't have grandchildren, begin to pray now for them. Pray the word of God. The scripture says when you pray the word of God, Faith comes, pray it out loud. The faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This is a confidence you can ask for me, God says. If you ask anything according to my will, I hear you. And if I hear you, I already have, you already have what you asked for. Now, if it's an idol there, if there's fear, anger, depression, hurt, or all of those things, you've got to take that up the mountain, just like Abraham took up Isaac. That's something that I, that I have done with my children, my family, uh, even if something happens during the day that it's, that it's not according to what I thought was going to happen, I can let it go knowing that God has a perfect plan. And so um, just remember that it didn't sound like a good thing for Abraham to take Isaac up the mountain and kill him. But after he took Isaac up the mountain, he told his servants, he said, my son and I will return. We're going to go up to worship. You see, it's an act of worship. When I can give up my life. He said my son and I return. Now how can you say that? Because God told him he was going to be the father of many nations. So through Isaac. So he knew he was going to come back. Even if he killed his son. That God was going to resurrect that son. And so you can take everything up the mountain. And just pray Lord. If that would glorify you the most. For me to have this or that. Or not have it or have it. Whatever would bring you the greatest glory. Lord all I ask is that you glorify yourself. And Satan, I declare you're bound from the whole situation. And I can tell you that's the perfect love that casts out fear. That's the perfect love that that rids you of anger, of hurt, of bitterness, of resentment, of depression. And so you just have to give it all up and take it up the mountain. And some of you have heard me teach before I teach this because this has been a key uh, in my life to overcoming fear and all of these negative emotions is just to let it go. And so um, if you can agree with me in prayer, I'll pray with you and we'll do deliverance. Um, It's harder to do deliverance when I don't hear you praying with me. But anyway, I'm going to do it anyway. And if you're listening to this message, if I can lead you in repentance, Father, in Jesus' name, now if you've never been born again, Father, in Jesus' name, I want to receive you again as Savior. I've received you in the past, but, Lord, I haven't been willing to deny myself. I've lived after the flesh. I've had the wrong vine and the wrong rock, and I want you, Jesus, to be my rock, and I want to be the vine connected to this branch that produces good fruit, 30, 60, and 100-fold. Forgive me for idolatry. Forgive me for fretting, striving, uh, for committing evil. Forgive me for idolatry. Lord, forgive me for fear of giving up my life. 
Lord, I forgive my mother and father for the dysfunction. I forgive them that I wasn't protected. I forgive them they didn't love me. I forgive them they didn't value me. I forgive them they didn't provide for me. I forgive them for abandoning me. I forgive them for rejecting me, not wanting me, cursing me. I forgive them for all the negative things uh, that they um, that they did or they didn't do that gave me a perverted image of you. And, Lord, I renounce the lie that you're just like them. And, Lord, I thank you that you've given me a measure of faith to yield my life to you. And now, Lord, I present my body to you as a living sacrifice. I offer up to you my members as instruments of righteousness. I give you my will that your will might prevail in the name of Jesus. And, Lord, thank you for the measure of faith. Lord, I choose to give up my life in whatever you've been holding on to. Take it up the mountain now and give it to God and tell God that all you ask is whatever happens, that it would glorify him, and he will for sure answer that. And, Father, in the name of Jesus, forgive me for having the wrong vine, the wrong rock. Uh, God, forgive me for worshiping demons, worshiping false gods. You said you have compassion on me when you see that my strength is gone. God, forgive me for having a Martha spirit, being concerned about so many things, trying to please people, trying to look good, trying to to look important to my community. Uh, God, forgive me for practicing the deeds of the flesh. Forgive me for sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, sorcery, uh, idolatry, enmity, strife. Forgive me for jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing. God, forgive me in the name of Jesus for practicing these things. Forgive me for not uh, bearing your character and nature. Forgive me for producing the character and nature of Satan. Forgive me for exchanging the truth of God for a lie and worshiping the creature rather than the creator. Lord, forgive me for not producing fruit, uh, which would cause you to remove the hedge in my life, to cause me to live in a state of distress. Forgive me for stress. Lord, forgive me for worry, anxiety, tension, stress, nervousness. Uh, God, forgive me for, um, Lord, in the name of Jesus, forgive me for um, living under a strain and not living under your yoke. Forgive me for living the life of other, other people instead of living the life you have for me. Lord, I just break all the yokes off my neck of letting people control me. I break soul ties with any person who's controlled me. Call back my soul and my human spirit from them. I send back their souls and their human spirits back to them. I exchange their image for the image of Christ. And, Lord, because I've let other people control me, I live under condemnation. I live under fear. I live under deceit. I live under regret. And I live a fruitless life. And I ask you to forgive me for not producing fruit for you. Uh, Forgive me for bearing the image of other people instead of bearing your image, Lord. I break every yoke off my neck in the name of Jesus. Forgive me for anger and bitterness and fear and depression. Uh, God, forgive me for hanging on to my life. Forgive me for not considering the lilies. God, forgive me for toiling and spinning, having a bad eye. Uh, I break the power of problems, fretting and stewing that would cause striving. In the name of Jesus, forgive me for um, having a calloused heart so that I can hear you producing from the flesh. 
And Father, in the name of Jesus, I yield my life to you. Uh, I give up my life, Lord. I choose to give up my life that I might find it. Uh, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I ask you now, Lord, to touch every person who prayed that prayer. Jesus, my hope of glory, I ask you to flow through me, Lord, and flow out to every person who is listening to this message. I ask you to deliver them, to set them free. I ask you, Lord, to seal your word to their heart. I pray that you'll remind them every day to let go of their life. Lord, it's a process, and thank you that you've begun a good work in us. We'll perform it into the day of the Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise you, Jesus. Now take a deep breath and blow out. In the name of Jesus, I command every spirit that came in through everything they've confessed to go now, striving, fretting, stewing, fear, depression, hurt, jealousy, envy. I command immorality to go. I command hatred, variance, strife, emulation. Go now in Jesus' name. All the demons of the idols, all spirits of depression, despair, hopelessness, despondency, unbelief, doubt, lies, and lying. I command you to go. Every lie that God's like their mother and dad, I break your power in the mighty name of Jesus. Take a deep breath and blow out. The word spirit means breath. In Jesus' name, I praise you, Lord, that you are the deliverer, the king, that you are the commander-in-chief of all the armies of heaven. In Jesus' name. Now pray with me, Lord, fill me with love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and self-control. If anyone wants personal prayer, you can call at 646-595-4784, and don't forget to press 1. Um, And I'm just going to tell you a little bit about the ministry, and then if no one calls in, then uh, we'll be through. Appreciate so much you listening in. Uh, you can go to my website at jerrymcgee.com. It's all lowercase, G-E-R-I-M-C-G-H-E-E.com. Um, I'll be in Beaumont uh, March the 14th through the 17th, 2019. Uh, there's a spiritual warfare conference. If you're interested in going, you can go online to Spiritual Warfare Team. Um, or you can email me, and I can send you a flyer. Email me at jerrymcgee at sbcglobal.net. I'm in Duncanville, Texas, the first Saturday of each month from 10 to 1.30. I mean, sorry, from 10 to 1. If you, It's free. If anyone wants a prayer or wants to come, we'd love to have you come. It's just a small group. We meet at the Hilton Garden Inn there on Interstate 20 and Main Street, which is exit 492. Uh, when you go into the hotel, the Hilton Garden Inn, take a right by the desk and go down and um, they change our rooms sometimes. So but you'll see a marquee that'll say abiding life ministries. And uh, last time we, we met at the, in the soda room and the other times we meet in the Penn Springs room and we've asked for the soda room. So we hope they'll give it to us. Um, anyway, on my website, there's print out and there's, Goodness, there's at least 100 free CDs that you can listen to with Deliverance Prayers. You can actually get delivered just listening to the CDs because I have Deliverance Prayers. You can order books on my website. Um, One, I recommend Clearing the Land. You can go through Clearing the Land. It lists all the curses and the sins to confess, curses to break, and prayers to show you how to break them. And I have people tell me all the time that, 
you can uh, actually, they get actually get delivered just going through the book. And, you know, God's never through with us until we enter heaven. So uh, deliverance is a process. It's like peeling, it's like peeling an onion. Uh, another book I recommend is called Drunkenness. Is it a blessing or curse? Uh, it basically goes through the uh, scriptures to show you that this spiritual drunkenness that goes on in meetings is demonic. It's not the Lord. Also, there's a book called Grief, uh, Exchanging Sorrow for Joy. And um, in, that, in that book, I think it gives people an encouragement uh, that God wants to heal your grief. Another book I've written that I encourage, these are just booklets. I think they're just $10, but I'm not sure. But um, it's called Resetting Life's Negative Reaping Patterns. And we all have got negative reaping and positive reaping. But the book tells you how to reset the negative reaping to the positive. And you can order that online. Uh, if you'd like to schedule a seminar in your area or a meeting in your area, then you can just email me at jerrymcgee at sbcglobal.net. And uh, I'll be at Lake Hamilton Bible Camp uh, April the 18th through the 21st. And if you'd like to go to that camp, I, I recommend it uh, very highly because we have prayer teams that pray for every morning. You can get tremendous deliverance, hands-on ministry, and you can go to LakeHamiltonBibleCamp.com and then get information. It's very inexpensive to go. It's in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Anyway, if you live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, I'd love to have you come to the Duncanville meetings. And... Um, and we'll be on this blog talk radio the first and third Tuesdays of the month from 6 to 8 p.m. You can write us at Abiding Life Ministries, Post Office Box 1141, Lindell, Texas. If you can support us, we'd appreciate it. Uh, we can always use support. And the, the lady that sponsors this program, uh, Dorothy Carruthers, you can also send her a gift through PayPal. It's D, like Dorothy, Churchy, number one at hotmail.com i just want to thank you for listening in i hope you'll listen in again if i can help you or if you uh, want to give me a testimony i love to hear what god's done in people's lives so you can email me at jerry mcgee at sbcglobal.net or you can go online to jerry mcgee all lowercase g-e-r-i-m-c-g-h-e-e.com and you can visit our website, and you can also see my son's testimony that he made uh, 13 days before he died of AIDS. That's gone worldwide. Um, and there's a place where you can sign up for email, and you'll get uh, further notices. I'm going to try to start sending out daily thoughts of encouragement again. I've been so busy, and it's been difficult to do, but I want to start trying to do it at least once a week. But anyway, if I can be a blessing to you, uh, contact me at Jerry McGee at sbcglobal.net. Thank you so much for listening in. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and give you even greater peace.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, only prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.